Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Nowadays in the media, we can't talk about public school without talking about politics. I will issue an order banning the teaching of critical race theory in our schools. And the Florida House Committee approves a bill being called Don't Say Gay. Activists demanding that the library ban more than 400 books. I want to learn genuine history. I'm thinking about starting a series called Reasons I Left the Teaching Profession. There's a lot. And I'm part of this, too. The first episode of this show was about the so-called parents' rights movement led by Moms for Liberty and other conservative groups. So if, it, if there's a history of slavery in the country, is that a fact? I mean, you should be teaching about slavery, of course. But you could, you know, you, you wouldn't, I guess when you would throw in your own personal bias or prejudice is when you would say that, um, for instance, like how the 1619 Project did. The parents I spoke to were turning their concerns over their kids' education into a platform to win school board elections. Another movement of parents is taking a different approach. Like, banning the book has its ups and downs. So what's the ups? Homeschooling. The ups is that... Oh, I got it. I got it. One minute, one minute uh, debate. Who wants the pros? Who wants the con? Uh, Pros. Con. No, con. Con. No! Too late. Hold on. Let me get my timer up here. The number of Black families choosing to homeschool has increased more than five times since the beginning of the pandemic, from about 3% to now around 16%. That's according to the U.S. Census Household Pulse Survey. And it's a bigger jump than any other racial group. We're doing something for ourselves, but I also think in the process of that, we are allowing other people and parents to see possibilities and opportunities. So how does this affect how we think about the politics of homeschooling or rethink the boundaries or potential of a parents' rights movement? I'm Audie Cornish, and this is The Assignment. CNN reporter Athena Jones brought this assignment to us. We were chatting, and I was asking her about what kind of reporting she had been doing lately. And she mentioned something that we've talked about on this show. I've been thinking about a way to get back at this whole so-called parental rights debate because, you know, whose rights are we talking about? It seems that we're talking about a very specific group and not the rest of parents. She wrote a story about homeschoolers back in March. It was called A Form of Resistance. More Black Families Are Choosing to Homeschool Their Children. Now, this was part of the homeschooling movement that I didn't know much about. So Athena introduced us to two of the parents from her reporting. Carlos Birdsong, and Sherry Mehta. And the first thing you should know is that they both grew up in and believe in public education. Yep. I mean, I'm a child of public school. My wife went to public and private. And I remember having the conversation because she had friends who um, she did training with who family had homeschooled. And we kind of laughed at the idea. It was like, you know, 
no way we would ever do anything <laughs> anything like that. That sounds crazy. I love you laughing all over again just thinking about it. Like, <laughs> what, uh, yeah. what seemed just totally batty about it to you? Like, why do you think you had that reaction? I think the idea of kind of undertaking that without formal training, the time-consuming aspect of it, just really not knowing anything about it, and then having had really good public school experiences, why would we even attempt to do something like that? What would be the reason? And then a reason came along. Carlos lives in North Carolina with his wife and two daughters. They're nine and 15. He spent the last 20 years working in tech and still does, now just part-time. My name is Sherry Mehta. I'm originally from Richmond, Virginia. My family and I live in Laurel, Maryland. Sherry and her husband have two sons. They're seven and nine. And before she started homeschooling, she was a high school and college educator for many years. Sherry, in fact, comes from a long line of Black public school teachers. And I was a part of the National Education Association. I was a local vice president and president. I was the person in the building, your building rep. I was going around telling people to join your teacher's union. Like, when you teach, you join the union. So for us, that was the route that you went. Coming from those places where public education is the thing you were committing your life to, are other kinds of education, especially if they're wrapped in modern politics, can people have a sort of hostility towards that or fear towards that? Yes, it can be seen that way. And one of the reasons is because we start to talk about the scramble for funds, for funding, and the concept and the notion that in allowing school choice and talking about other educational opportunities, homeschooling and maybe vouchers for charters and private schools and things of that sort. There's the notion that oftentimes something is being taken away from a public school in order for those other schools to exist or to flourish. So to say we're homeschooling was definitely a paradigm shift in every single way, not just as a parent, but also as a parent educator. Carlos, you said that prior to this point, you didn't have a reason. Take me to the moment you realized you had a reason. (laughs) Yeah, that one's easy. So spring of 2020, that was it. My youngest was in Montessori school still. And my Otis was in public school. The private school had a lot of IT problems that I was trying to help them solve. You know, the teachers weren't trained to teach first grade and kindergartens online. You know, they just wasn't working. So I remember uploading videos for YouTube and uploading documents so parents in the class could download stuff. And But you had this weird front row seat to it all. Instead of a vague sense of, this is hard virtually, you were literally the IT guy. Yeah, that's true. Um, They were struggling. And so my wife and I kind of took the summer of 2020 to 
five virtual experiences for them. And then that's kind of how homeschooling kind of came about. Sherry, breaking point? Breaking point really was when my then kindergartner, our oldest, he said, no, I don't want to do this anymore. He enjoyed kindergarten, but once COVID hit and we went to virtual, he didn't like that. Now, I have a kindergartner who's startlingly articulate. I don't know what yours is like, but how was that conversation, you know, with a five, six-year-old? The conversation was, okay, so we have to make a decision about what we want to do for school next year. And he had been very vocal leading up to when it was time for us to log in, to get online. He said, I I just want my assignment. I just want to do my assignment and be done. And we were doing a lot of supplemental stuff. And we had also homeschooled for a short moment while we were transitioning between preschools years ago. So he had a memory of what he called mommy school. And we were kind of blending mommy school in with what was going on with the virtual piece. Um, But mommy school uh, is very different from I'm a kindergartner who has to log into a thing to watch the teacher on screen. I assume this is where you, where it falls apart. Yes, because he didn't want to sit and watch anyone on screen. He wanted to interact with his peers and there were no opportunities to do that. So we said, okay, this is what, these are our options for next year. I had gone, Audie, and got the little bag for the first grade, all the little stuff that they were giving out with the little laptop. He just said, no, I want to do mommy school. And I said, okay, once we buy this curriculum here, we're we're in it for a year. Like, we're committed. And he said, basically, let's do it. You know, the first episode of this particular podcast featured conservative parents who were coming out of the same period you did and were just really upset with COVID policies, gender identity politics they felt were entering the classroom, certainly with race and racial history that they felt was entering the classroom. And they end up running for school boards, right? They decide they can better influence their children's education from a position of leadership. Can you talk about what made you choose homeschooling instead? I was not coming from, we're, we're not a religious family, we're not a conservative family, and, and actually to the opposite, you know, end of the spectrum. I realized in that moment what I had been studying and writing about for years, my children in a public school classroom would never have a chance to learn about that. Like what? I studied and researched letters from African-American soldiers who served in the Civil War in the United States Colored Troops. Our family's a descendant of um, an enslaved man who fled a Virginia plantation to join a United States Colored Troop Regiment. And ultimately, that regiment ended up in Galveston, Texas, at the reading of General Order Number 3. I never learned that information in school. My children at this point in time would not be allowed to learn that information as well. Because of the political climate? Because of the political climate. 
our ancestor was enslaved and owned by George Washington. My children would never know that in a public school. They would never learn that in a public school classroom. Those are parts of our genealogy, but they're also parts of American history. That you feel right now is... It's under attack. The, The learning of a full and complete history of America is under attack, in my view. After the break, our parents wrestle with whether they're helping or hurting the public school system by pulling out of it. This is an act of resistance. We are initiating change. We'll be back after this. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life. I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with Carlos Birdsong and Sherry Mehta, our homeschooling parents. We've talked about how COVID shutdowns got them to this point. But I wanted to get a better sense of whether the culture war politics of the moment is, in effect, keeping them here. Do you feel relief that they're not in the public school system? Do you feel like you want to run for a school board yourself? How do you hear that national discussion? Because they're parents like you, but they're taking a totally different path. Yes. When we say public schools, I I think the trouble I have (laughs) with it is that it's almost like when you say public schools, then you imply all public schools, which is not always the case, right? And I hear these things, I, I read these things that happen, and I'm glad that my child doesn't go to a public school where something like that was happening. That is not the reason why my kids aren't in public school here. As far as running for some public school board or something like that, I used to think I'm not in public school, so I don't really care what happens. That was a couple years ago. And then this was in a Facebook group. They do a panel where they have other homeschool educators kind of come and talk. 
And this woman had homeschooled four or five children, and they were doing great, off in college, and she was on the school board. What she said she realized was that it is in all of our interest to make public education better, because for some families, that is the only option that they have. I feel for my brothers and sisters who are still in the public school system and who are fighting that good fight because they are up against something that in many ways is not for the greater good and benefit of all of us. When you have an educated populace, there's so many positives that come from that. When you're watching the news and you hear about a book being banned, or you, again, taking us back to that time, saw people screaming at a school board, were you like, you know, yet another reason to get out of this? Oh, yes, definitely. When I do see those things, it's like I wish they were not happening, but they are, and there is, in that sense, nothing enticing to me in saying I would send my children back to public school. And while those voices are louder and people are kind of falling to those demands, are they really in the best interest of the entire population? Sherry, do you think um, do you think your kids are, or have they ever asked to go go back to public school? No. And it's really it's so funny you ask that question because. Initially, my oldest said, you know, once the pandemic's over, I would like to go back to school. But then as we kept going through, I would hear him say things like, you know, oh, I'm learning so much more. Or, you know, I I have more time to sleep. Um, Just in the first year of like, you know, getting more rest and just a much healthier child. I think he has realized, my oldest, that Homeschooling's the way to go. And he'll say that, you know, he loves homeschooling. Maybe a couple months ago, my nine-year-old asked to go back to public school. And she, she was mad at me. That's, that's where it started. And so we sat down and kind of did a, we had this habit of doing a, a list of pros and cons and kind of starting discussing there. And so, and then what she realized was, well, yep, I like homeschool and homeschool is better. But what we realized was there were some things that we weren't doing that she thought maybe she could get from public school. Do you have an example of one? Um, more field trips. That was a big one. And what was one of her cons for public school? Oh, the pace was too slow. But yeah. just having those types of discussions as a family, right, where our children feel comfortable enough to talk about their own desires, their own interests, and how those can be accomplished. I think that's a skill that helps them so much more in life as they become older. I have a couple of big picture questions, which uh, if you feel uncomfortable answering, that's totally fine. But I feel like I have two really civically minded and engaged people here. And so you're the right people to ask these questions to. So one, I brought up the idea of the parents who are out there being part of a parental rights movement. Are you, in effect, part of a parental rights movement? Yeah, yes. <laughs> I think so. I think yes. So. 
why the complete befuddlement? And how, well, how are you? It seemed like you guys had to process that in real because time. Because sometimes you underestimate what it is that you do, or your position, or your role, or the depth of what it is. It's like I'm eh, just no big deal. But when you stop and you think, here we are with you today, Audie. You know, that's part of a parental movement. From the reporting we've done here at CNN and read in other places, there has been this effort to call the movement by Black families who homeschool, quote-unquote, an act of resistance. Again, yes, I think that is true. Um, <laughs> you know, but not in a not in a sort of militant kind of way. I can hear right? your own stereotypes think- at play as you process this. There's something you don't want to be aligned with. What is that? Yeah, I I don't want to be aligned as someone who thinks that any other alternative education is a bad choice. I think that our choices, specifically for my family, are appropriate for my children at this time. We've had this option and we are taking advantage of it. But I also think that if something else happens, we may revisit this decision. My wife and I talk about that all the time. But the resistance is we want our kids to be knowledgeable citizens and civic-minded. They need to participate in the process, political process, whether it is voting or educating themselves or finding out what the truth really is and behind something. So that resistance. This is an act of resistance. We are initiating change. Our children have a chance to learn in a different way. They may take that and really try to change our world. But at the same time, it does feel like what you guys are doing is very insular. It's about your household and your kids and what's best for you. And whereas this, there's this other part of a movement that's like, oh, no, what's best for our kids is also best for your kid. We're going to be on a school board and we're going to do this and that. Like, you're not doing that. You're doing something for yourselves. We're doing something for ourselves. But I also think in the process of that, we are allowing other people and parents to see possibilities and opportunities by presenting a different face of homeschooling, by coming together and creating a community. So there are other people who are coming and and their agenda is, I'm doing what I think is best for my child, but that I'm also saying that what I think is best for my child is best for yours. This movement doesn't seek to do that. I don't think this homeschooling movement seeks to say, what I do that's good for me is good for you. What it does show is that this is open to you. But you can see why I'm asking, right? Especially coming from a Black educator's family where our community has fought so hard to be part of the public education system. And I think more of us who have come from that history and fought that good fight also see that at times you need to pivot and you need to shift. And you can still fight that good fight while providing something else for your own family or doing something different. I mean, giving the right to make a choice, you, you know, you having the right to sit anywhere on the bus, not sit in the front of the bus, 
we can make whatever choice we want to make. And I think also kind of piggybacking on that, to have opened that pathway historically for others does not mean that that is the only path that we can walk. So I can continue to advocate for better public schools for everyone, whether my child is a participant in that or not. The voices are loud on that, on the opposing side, for reasons that may not include or or may not be part of our particular agenda, if there is one. I don't believe that I need to be as loud of a voice in opposition to that. But I will bellow out the opportunities that are available for homeschoolers. I will knock on doors, random emails to get opportunities for homeschoolers. I may speak out more about the positive impact that it's had on us. And that's, I think, what we can do. It's interesting. It's not a truth that is shouted out as loud, right? That you can be for parents' rights. You can also be an advocate for the public education system at the same time. But you can be. There are many reasons that parents are choosing homeschooling. Um, And it oftentimes is no offense to public school, but they are choices. And I think at least promoting that those choices are available to people who look like me. There are other ways to make moves and to initiate progress on an educational front. And it may not be the loudest movement. It may not be the one with the lights and the bells and whistles, but it is a silent movement. It's a growing movement and it's a force. That was Sherry Mehta. She's a mom and a homeschooler based in Maryland. We also heard from homeschooler Carlos Birdsong. He joined us from North Carolina. I also want to say thank you to CNN reporter Athena Jones. You can check out her story. It'll be in our episode notes. That's it for this episode of The Assignment. If you liked it, share it with friends. If you love it, write a review. And if you have an assignment for us, give us a call at 202-854-8802. That's where you can leave us a voicemail. You can also record a voice memo on your phone or email us an idea at theassignment at cnn.com, all lowercase. The Assignment is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Jennifer Lai and Isoke Samuel. Our producers are Madeline Thompson, Carla Javier, Lori Galaretta, and Dan Bloom. Our senior producer is Matt Martinez. Mixing and sound design by David Shulman. Dan DeZula is our technical director. Steve Lichtai is our executive producer. And of course, special thanks to Katie Hinman. I'm Audie Cornish, and thank you for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 